0: if you would be so kind as to look in your scripture, there are some Bibles in your pews in front of you if you don't bring your own. Uh, So let's look into the scriptures, Luke chapter 4. Let me remind you what just happened before we read the scripture. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. Uh, I'm sorry, he wasn't John the Presbyterian. He was John the Baptist. Okay? Okay. So, he wasn't John the Presbyterian. And, uh, and uh, in, in, the, in the scripture, he is baptized. He thus come out from the Jordan. And he actually begins his ministry throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And our scripture begins with him, him just getting out of the Jordan River. And listen for to the word of God as we read this portion. Then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus was nothing, ate nothing all the time he was there and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment in time. And said, I will give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it to you if you will bow down. And worship me. But Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil took Jesus to the, to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, <laughs> He will order his angels to protect you and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished with tempting Jesus, he left until the next opportunity came about. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues, and he was praised by everyone. This is the gospel of the Lord. Throughout the summer months I have been sharing about the fruit of the spirit, nine fruit of the spirit. Amazing qualities in life, amazing words to live by, amazing attributes that all of us would wish to have them. Nine weeks we've been doing at it, and as we come to a close this week and next week, we want to uh, celebrate the idea that God has lived and deposited in us His Spirit, so that we ourselves can be like Jesus in our community. By this time, our verse should be memorized, but the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And the amazing thing is that against this, there is no Law. By now we know that we cannot produce any of these attributes by ourselves. There is no psychological gimmick, though I was one of those. There is no motivational training, though I did that stuff in the past. There is no way that these spiritual qualities could be developed in us by ourselves. We have also learned that Jesus has taught us that he is divine and we are the branches. And separated from Jesus, we can do nothing. So it is the sap of the spirit that flows through the tree, through our lives, through our hearts, and we begin to acquire because as we hang out with God, it rubs off in us. We use the image of the water going around, of that being God and all what God is, all those perfections of God As my good old theologian Arthur Pink reminds me, all those perfections of God are actually one. There is one water. One God that does happen to have a sweetness of kindness, that does happen to have some joy elements in it, that has peace, gentleness, faithfulness, patience, but it is the water of love. And as we continue and submerge, saturate ourselves with the water of God, we begin to become like Jesus. Those attributes, as we drink and submerge ourselves in God's life, in our life, as we join our life in the life of the triune God in our lives, it begins to rub off on us. And that is why we open ourselves. What can we do to become more like God? We open ourselves to God. We open ourselves to eternal. We open ourselves to the divinity. How? Through scripture, prayer, spiritual disciplines. And above all, as we get involved in mission out there in the community, that is when we're actually engaged in the fruit of the Spirit because we're sharing God with others. Today, however, I want to bring to the last one in the list, which is self-control. And self-control is something very interesting because of the word self and of the word control. Oh, some of us who may be a little OCD... Not me. Love those terms. But we're gonna discover how OCDs can live without too much self-control in a few moments. But you see self-control, and what we're gonna do this morning is very quickly. We're gonna find out what self-control is. We're gonna see and explore to see if God has exercised any self-control going to see a, a self-control exercise by Jesus, our Lord, and then I'll have a few comments and observations of what I have just learned very quickly as we go. So what is self-control? Self-control is the idea of having and holding in your hands something. That's the scriptural Uh, idea that's conveyed in the original. However, in positive psychology, the psychology that doesn't deal with the pathology or the disease, but deals with what works in human life is called positive psychology. As I was teaching that in the universities, we used to describe self-control as the ability to become aware of emotions, thoughts, desires, and behaviors, and the ability to restrain handle, and manage them for better practices in life. In scripture, it just says, self-control implies the having in your hand. Have it there, do something about it. Because if you don't have it in your hands, it's got you. Okay? Self-control implies, just the term self-control implies that there is an issue with the self. There implies a conflict within the self. Oh, there is a social self. There's so many selves that we can describe. Now we have our Facebook self to add to the gamma of selves that we can mask ourselves with. But before God, we can never hide. We can never pretend something that we are not because God sees us just as we are and loves us, and accepts us. So it it does imply that there is a conflict. The idea of self-control also implies and kind of leads us to the idea that there's got to be an action taken. That in order for us to acquire self-control, something has to happen. There needs to be a prescription. There needs to be some action. And actually, thirdly, self-control implies that there should be an expected change if we are to have that so-called self-control. Let me share with you that a great deal of educational practices, a great deal of therapeutical and self-improvement practices are aimed to help us to control behaviors, control and eradicate something that is just not healthy for us. If we're not aware of it, it will control us. Something that is not good for us, something that is not healthy for us. That basically is what self-control is. It's the ability, the awareness to handle it one way or the other in scripture is the ability and the awareness to handle it god's way god's way so self restraint of god the theologians this guy arthur pink by the way i don't know what in, what in the world was happening in my life when i was 14 years old that i was reading this kind of stuff the attributes of god by arthur pink was given to me by my pastor in the Spanish version because my mother discovered Jesus and she got saved, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and then she started reading about what Jesus had done for other people. And I don't care what Jesus did for other people. I want to know who to do this. So when I shared that at 14 with my pastor, my pastor said, come on over, Edwin Sito, little Edwin. And he gave me a little book, The Attributes of God. And at 14 years old, I'm reading fake, stuffy theology. And guess what? I liked it. I got the disease. So, Pink describes to us that God actually has exercised self-control. He calls it the self-restraining love of God, the self-restraining love of God. When we are sinners and we deserve the wrath of God, when we have abandoned our God, when we have rebelled, when we have just turned away from our maker, when we have just rejected consciously and subconsciously, God insists, holds back his wrath. Because of love and grace to God's children. God holds back his wrath. It's amazing that in the New Testament we see it this way. And through him God reconciled to Godself self everything. My dear sister and my dear brother, please be aware, God is no longer angry with you. God is no longer having a beef with you. God is no longer watching you and counting the mistakes. God is openly has opened his, God's arms in the person of Jesus Christ so that you and I can come confidently and experience the love, the mercy, the grace of God. Because in God's self-restraining love, God has put back, God has delayed, God has tarried, God has postponed, God has actually canceled God's own wrath against God's creation. What an amazing reality. Are you getting this? Are you getting it? Amen. Come on, help me out. (laughs) I've never said that before, have I? (laughs) But God has expressed self-control because of God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. Now, Jesus, Oh, the text that we read, Jesus had just got into the river and when he came up, the spirit of God manifested itself in some kind of dove or bird and a voice came through the sky saying, this is my child in whom I am well pleased, in whom I take great pleasure. How would you have felt if you yourself would have heard those words about you? This is my daughter, this is my son, in whom I am so well pleased. Well, he was just out of there, and, and, and interestingly enough, as we read the scripture, our lesson this morning, there's bookends. Chapter 4, I mean, verse 4 begins, Jesus went out of the Jordan full of the Spirit. And in verse 14, when we finish the story, Jesus is leaving the most dramatic moment of his life? In the power of the Spirit. So that is the bookmarkers of the story. And Jesus was tempted. And Jesus was like you and I. Jesus was human and tempted in every way as the writer of Hebrews. I like to say it was Priscilla. As Priscilla may have told us in the Hebrews literature that he was human but yet never sinned. Amazing. Self-control in life. Now, why was Jesus able to have that kind of self-control? It was because Jesus was aware of his position with God. Oh, he just heard it a few moments before. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. And those words must must have filled him to such degree that when he went into that wilderness, he was aware of his position with God. I am God's son in whom he is well pleased. Do you think that way of yourself, or do you feel that God is so away and so aloof of your daily life? I always have this image as I drive through, and I'm trying to listen to God in my life. Seven twenty-four, three sixty-five. I, I I have that sense that I miss things, and my visual image is that I'm driving through the connector, is west connector, and there's all these burning bushes alongside wanting to speak to me, but I just keep on driving. God is involved in our lives. And God wants you to know that your position, as Paul says in Ephesians, is in heavenly places along with the saints. Hi, Saint Joyce. Saint Paulette. Saint Dolly. Yeah. Saint Shirley. She brought a candle to my house this weekend, so I'll put it in front of your picture. No. <laughs> One, So we are God. We have a position. We have a power. God empowers us because we're God's children. Secondly, Jesus was aware of his dependency on God. Oh, he was so aware of his dependency on God that whenever he got cluttered with people and with stuff and with situations, he would hide away to replenish. You see, he's a dispenser of hope. He was a dispenser of vision. He was a dispenser of love. But he needed to get it also so that he could dish it out. So he, would, he knew he would go into prayer. He would go into fasting. He would go into the relationship with his God whom he called his Father. Wow, what a relationship. He knew he depended on God. Do we? Do we really depend on God with our situations? Are we really willing to trust God in every part of our lives? It's a risk. Because what that means, Mary, is that if we're going to trust God, we've got to let go, we've got to lose control, right? Ooh. So maybe part of self-control is having to let go. And the cliche, I hate it, I don't want to use it, but I'm forced. Let go and let God. Jesus knew he had to depend on God, and thirdly, Jesus was aware of God's vision. Oh, was Jesus aware of God's vision? He—I don't know if how we would have responded. Uh, uh, how's the baby? Excellent. She there? Ooh. See, he was aware. They had to go to the cross. He was aware of that. And last week when we're talking about, uh, no, when we're talking about uh, uh, faithfulness, we read that scripture that says, and Jesus resolved himself and put up his face to Jerusalem knowing what he was going to be facing. He made that decision. He made that commitment. He was aware of God's vision for his life. And he was willing to do the good, lay hands, resurrect people, speak amazing stories, and he was willing to do the sad and sacrificial. Accept the whips in the back, accept the crown, and eventually death. I think Jesus had an idea of God's full vision. Yeah. Because willingly he went to death. And by the power of God, he was risen again. So he was aware of God's vision for his life, Kevin. Are we aware of God's vision for our lives? I do know that 11 of us went to St. Petersburg, Florida two weeks ago, and 11 of us went with some ideas, right? Where's my girl there? Where's my Rosalie? And, and we went with some ideas about why we want, you know, we went there with some ideas how things should be here. And we came back with some other ideas, right? Oh, boy, <laughs> that's what, a Sarah laugh or a or <laughs> a Sarah laugh? Yeah, that's an inside joke of those of us who went, Sarah laughed, you know, <laughs> kind of suspicious. <laughs> yeah, that's a Sarah laugh. <laughs> but we know now that God has an amazing vision. Those people went over there, oh, some of them had their doubts, I know. What is Pastor Edwin doing? What, is he crazy? Why is he doing that now? Where is he pulling this out of? Well, now we know. I'm not that creative. <laughs> now we know I have a source. And for eight years we've been going to Evangelism Church Growth Transformation Conference, and we kinda it kind of rubs on us. Right, Mary? Yes. Amen. Oh, we were there and we ate and we fellowship. Oh, we did we eat. <sighs> Great food, Esther, isn't it? We ate. We fellowship, we learned, and we were transformed—not to our liking, necessarily, not to my preferences necessarily—but to God's vision for our community here at Light of Hope. Amen. So in finishing today, I just want to share three things about God's self-control. About self-control, which is handling it God's way. Very briefly, I want to share with you one of the observations is that self-control is about handling God's way. Not about our way. Not about the old traditional way. Not about the contemporary way. About God's way of doing things. Secondly, self-control is about letting go. How can that be? Well, if you talk about to one of us OCD, and I keep saying us and I don't even know, but I just want to include myself with anything. <laughs> Why not? It may be there. As, as, you know, let go? Are you kidding? Look at my body language. I'm holding on. I'm talking about it, but my body language is saying holding. I'm holding my pockets here, my pants. I'm gripping them because what we really need to go to gain self control is to let go is to let go and learn and follow and get in the groove with God's self control which is only motivated by love by grace and with health lastly self control my dear sister and brother as all the fruit of the spirit is a gift from God. It's the gift from God that that the maker, the toy maker, as he made us for his pleasure and for God's own pleasure, God designed us and he even gives us his attributes so that we can have a healthy, positive, and good relationship with God and with one another. So are you in control of your temptations or are they in control of you? Does it feel sometimes that your life is managed by other people? Well, guess what it is. It depends who. Is it light or is it darkness? Allow me this morning to share with you, to point at, to, to share with, to introduce you to the one who is life itself and who not only controls our life, but loves our lives, has a design for our lives, has the best wishes for our lives. His name is Jesus. Would you get, like to get to know his grace? Would you let him arrange your life in such a way that God and you will have this harmony of living in the unity with God and the Holy Spirit, and love and joy and peace and gentleness and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we will find ourselves living in the kingdom of our God right here, right now. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word is truth spoken to our hearts by your Spirit. We ask your blessing. We ask your Spirit to speak to us as we ourselves come before you in the spirit of confession. Thus, we need to let go of gossip. Of murmuring, of criticizing, of judging, of being suspicious of one another and not seeing you in one another. Help us, O God, through Christ our Lord. Amen.